God, today as we gather as your people to remember you and celebrate you and hear from you, enjoy one another and have fun, God, we're inviting your Holy Spirit to uh, work in our hearts and minds today as we, as we dive into this story from your word, that you would use it to, to shape us and change us and help us be uh, the church and the families and the people that you long for us to be in this world. So we open our lives to you right now and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It had not been long since they left paradise. Throughout his childhood, Cain and his brother Abel had heard the stories, had listened as their mother and father talked about what it was like in the garden. With a faraway look, Adam and Eve would describe it to the boys, walking with God, enjoying that connection with him that that now seemed a bit tarnished and damaged interrupted. Why can't we go back? Cain would ask. Surely God will let us back in. But even as he spoke the words, there was something inside of him that told him it would no longer be possible. You see, along with this deep longing for connection with God, Cain now sensed another force working in his soul. Sin. These these feelings, desires, urges, emotions that that seemed to be pulling him away from becoming the person that he knew God longed for him to be. The the sin, it started showing up in his life in a lot of ways, but perhaps most notably in his attitude, in in his relationships, in the way he interacted with God, his parents, his brother. Yet in in spite of this negative aroma of sin that was increasingly dominating his personality, Cain refused to believe that anything was wrong. Maybe that's why this whole thing was so difficult. You see, Cain had always been the favorite. He'd always been special. He was the firstborn son after all. But somewhere along the way, things began to change. That stuff, that that junk, that sin in his heart that kept showing up in his attitude and relationships, it was beginning to even separate him from God now. And to make matters worse, he only saw Abel and God getting closer. His little brother was walking with God more closely than, than he was. What is it, friends, about another's success in the midst of our failure, or, or another's approval amidst our dismissal, or someone's acceptance in the face of our rejection that causes us to react so strongly, that stirs up such intense emotion in us. You see, Cain was becoming someone now. The dark parts of his soul were beginning to emerge in a way that defined him more and more and more all the time. Genesis chapter 4 gives us the short version of the story. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. You see, this was the moment when it all came to a head. It it didn't start here, no. It, It had been brewing over the course of time, we read, in Cain's heart. Offerings that were one time the very best of his crop, his choicest fruit, had now dwindled to just an average portion. Abel, on the other hand, continued to bring the fat portions of his firstborn, the very best of his flock to God. 
Continuing in verse 4, the scriptures tell us, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now don't be confused here. This offering is, is just an indicator. This offering is just revealing of the fact that Cain's heart is beginning to drift. That is what God really cares about. You see, now, in this moment, when God comes to him, Cain will have a choice to make. Now, Cain, he will be given the opportunity to choose which path his life will go down. Will he let his emotions, will he let his feelings, will he let the attitude of his life drive him forward, or will Cain allow God to change and shape his climate? You see, friends, all of us in here are like Cain. Every single one of us in this room has a collection of relationships. And within each one of those relationships, there is a climate. There is a relational and emotional dynamic at work. There is an aroma, a vibe, an atmosphere that surrounds every single interaction you have with another person. There's a climate in your marriage. There's a climate in your family. There's a climate when you and your friends get together. There's a climate between you and your boss, you and your coworkers, you and your kids, you and your parents, you and your mother-in-law. And, and here's the truth, friends. We don't always think about this. We don't always think in these terms. But, but when I say this, I think you'll agree. The climate of our relationships dictates the forecast. The climate of our relationships dictates the forecast. The relational and emotional temperature, atmosphere, vibe of any given relationship can predict with uncanny ability where that relationship is headed. Let me be specific. Show me a marriage with a climate that is consistently cold, bitter, resentful, argumentative, and I can tell you where that marriage is headed. I can predict the forecast. Show me an office marked with gossip, envy, suspicion, mistrust, and I'll show you a company that's headed for trouble. You show me a church characterized by legalism, judgment, inauthenticity, the preservation of self-comfort, and I'll show you a group of people who aren't going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Why, friends? Why can I say that with such confidence? Because climate dictates forecast. Here's another thing that's true. You have a climate. And that climate, it goes with you wherever you go. Your climate is with you when you go to school, kids. It's with you when you go to work. It's with you when you drive and to and arrive at small group. It's with you when you show up for the family reunion. It's with you at your kid's soccer game. It's with you at church. Your climate is even with you in your home. And actually, maybe the best illustration of this is the profound theological work by A.A. A. Milne called Winnie the Pooh. I mean, you guys are familiar with Pooh and his, his clan, right? When Pooh and, and his guys, they show up on the scene, when these characters arrive, they each bring with them an unmistakable climate. Piglet, surrounded by worry and fear, just always swirling around him, right? Rabbit is the condescending bossy pants. Owl is the smarty pants know-it-all. Some of you know some owls, don't you? Kanga is that calming, soothing mother type. 
Eeyore's climate is actually so well known that pessimistic, glum, gloomy, glass half-empty types are now even referred to as Eeyores. And then there's Tigger. You might even know someone who has a climate like Tigger's. High energy, talks a lot, slightly obnoxious, marginally responsible, long sermons. It's not supposed to be that funny. Pastor Matt's feelings are hurt. Again, here's the point. Here's the point. Just like all of these characters, you have an emotional and relational climate that is with you wherever you go. And so this morning, as we look at the rest of the story, I invite you to let God speak to you today about your climate. Because friends, this is not just a story about two brothers. This is not just a story about Cain. This is a story about humanity. This is a story about us, about you and me, and about how sin wants to control our lives and lead us away from becoming the people God created us to be. Back to Genesis. The Lord looked with favor favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is a tragic story. This is, a, this is a, an awful story. And we've, some of us have heard this story so many times that it just kind of slides right past. But just think about it for a minute. This guy kills his own brother. Some of you parents are thinking, I thought this was kid-friendly summer Sundays, and now we've chosen this story where brothers are killing each other. And I challenge you, find a kid-friendly story in the Bible. Most of them aren't kid-friendly. In fact, most of them are PG-13, so we're going to do our very best with this one. But there's three things that I actually want you to notice and receive this morning uh, right from this story. And here's the first one. God wants Cain to see and be aware of his climate. God wants Cain to see and be aware of his own climate. You see, as it turns out, God is actually very pro-self-awareness. Something for us to note. In this story, the way it's told, God goes out of his way in the middle of this whole ordeal and in the midst of everything that's happening, God goes out of his way to come to Cain and say to him, Cain, can I show you something about yourself? Can I reflect something back to you? I don't think you can see this about yourself, Cain. You're really, really angry. You're really, really downcast. And your climate, your emotions, your attitudes, they are starting to drive your life. First thing God says to Cain and to you and me this morning is this. Be aware of your emotions. Understand the emotional climate surrounding you and your relationships. It's essential. It's important. It matters to God. Friends, we all need that, don't we? We all, at times need 
to step back and see who we really are, maybe more often than we currently do. We all need to stop and think, how do other people experience me? I want to show you a picture this morning. This picture was taken on September 4th, 1957, at the height of the Civil Rights Movement. In this photo, you see Elizabeth Eckford. She was one of nine African-American students who was for the first time attending a desegregated central high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. But what's amazing about this picture is that Elizabeth Eckford was not the focus. She is not the person who attracted attention in this picture. The person who's actually driving the climate of this moment is the girl right here, Hazel Bryan. And the reason this picture was so powerful, actually I found it in in Time Magazine's uh, History's 100 Most Influential Photographs, or the most influential sort of culture-shaping photographs um, of our time. The reason it was so powerful is because this picture gave not just a person but an entire group of people, an entire subculture, a snapshot of the bitterness and prejudice and hatred and hostility swirling around their relationship with the African-American community. People all of a sudden, maybe for the first time for some of them, got to see themselves, their climate, in this picture. Do you understand the power of seeing and becoming aware of your climate? Now, most of us don't have the time or energy or even the desire to have a photographer following us around all the time, snapping photos of us so that we can get a look at ourselves and how we interact with people. I mean, that'd be kind of weird, really. Like, hey, I saw you today, and here's how you looked. and the... That would be weird. We don't have that. We don't, we don't want that. And yet, and yet, we still need to see who we are in relationship with other people. And so... Here's your big action item today. Here is is some homework that I'm going to offer you this morning. And kids, I know you're thinking, it's summer, homework, day. We don't want homework. Kids, this homework is for you, but it's also for your parents. So now, instead of them asking you about you getting your homework, now you can ask them. Did you do your homework all week? Just nag them, bug them, pester them, get beyond their back, on their case. Make sure your parents do their homework, kids. Here it is. Here's your big challenge. And it's actually just an opportunity that I'll offer you today. I want you to choose three people from three different areas of your life. People that know you well. People that you interact with often. People that love you. People that you know love you. People that love you enough to tell you the truth. And here's what I want you to ask them. I want you to ask them, would you help me see myself? Would you describe to me, in a gracious but very honest way, the emotional and relational climate I bring into our relationship and the other relationships you observe me in? A a guy who's kind of a preaching coach of mine for a while, Jeff Henderson, said, ask it this way. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be in relationship with me? Because the truth is, I'd like to think I know myself pretty well. But I've never been married to me. 
I've never been friends with me. I've never been co-workers with me. I've never been employed by me or parented by me. The truth is this. We need others to help us get an honest view of our emotional and relational climates. Now, to get the most honest feedback you can possibly get, because that's the only kind of feedback that's going to help you and do you any good, you want the real stuff. To get the most honest feedback, I'm going to ask you to ask the people to provide their feedback to you in either the form of an email or a letter. Because the truth is this, in America, we're like relational wimps. People will not tell you the truth to your face. You will not get all the good... You won't get the last 10% of hard truth if you just ask them to speak it to you. But they'll write it in an email. Believe me. And be prepared. Like, this is not an assignment for the faint of heart. If you decide to take me up on this, if you decide to engage in this, be prepared for three things. One, some encouraging information. These people are going to tell you some things that blesses you, that encourages you, that lifts you up, that makes you think, yeah... I am pretty awesome. <laughs> and two, you're going to get some surprising information. You're going to get some information where you thought, I never thought of myself that way. I never saw me. I didn't know I came across that way. And then number three, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Just know it right out, of, right out of the gate. Your feelings will get hurt if you choose to engage this exercise. Sounds fun, doesn't it? But here's what I want you to do. When you get your feedback... Decide, even before it comes, decide, even before you open that letter or read that email, I'm not going to defend myself, I'm not going to rationalize, I'm not going to justify, I'm not going to make excuses, I'm just going to take this information that I get and I'm going to bring it to the Lord and I'm going to say, God, what parts of this information do you need me to hear and understand and receive that I might become more the person you want me to be? Do I, do I need to be less negative? Do I need to be less critical? Do I need like some fear to kind of slide out of my life? Do I need to be less narcissistic, self-centered? Whatever it is. See, God wants Cain and you and me to see and be aware of who we are. The next thing we see in this story is that God says, if Cain does not change his climate... It will be destructive. If change does not choose to see and embrace and change and work on the climate that is swirling around him, there is going to be some damage and some destruction in his life. The verse, the very famous verse from this entire passage says it this way. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Those words are so vivid. They're so strong. They, They paint such a picture for us. You see, one thing that's interesting is that the Hebrew word translated crouching here, most often in the Bible, that, that, that word is used to describe leopards and tigers. So here's the image. Here's the image the writer of Genesis is driving at. Through the climate of your life, through the climate of some of your relationships, in those places where your relational and emotional world gets sort of out of whack, sin is waiting like a lion or or, or a leopard hiding in the tall grass to just pounce on and absolutely rip you to shreds, destroy you and devour your life. Satan wants to take advantage of the destructive parts of the sin in you. And unfortunately, that's what happens to Cain. He ignores God. 
He refuses to, to see the emotional and relational climate of his life and he kills his own brother again. Can you imagine this? Can you, but that is what sin does. It takes us to places. It, it does things to us and who we are and our personalities and mindsets and attitudes that we never thought it would do. It takes us places we never thought we would go. And now do not get me wrong. This is an extreme case. I am not suggesting this morning that murder is right around the corner for you. But I am saying this. Emotions kill relationships. Toxic climates lead to the destruction of friendships and families and churches and communities and teams and ministries and marriages. It happens all the time. Do you know when Satan smiles? Do you know when like, the devil like, is just really happy and gleeful? When friendships that were once close have distance. When animosity and bitterness build up inside families. When marriages are torn apart by resentment. When sons and daughters are driven away by critical parents. When churches fragment because what was once a climate of grace becomes a climate of prideful religion. Do not let what happened to Cain happen to you. Do not let what happened to Cain happen to us. You see, way at the other end of the Bible, at the very back like section, at the very end of the New Testament even, there's this, this part, this little book of Jude, where Cain is mentioned again. It's this little book right before the book of Revelation. And Cain's not, name actually comes up another time. And this time, Jude, he uses the story of Cain as a warning for the first century church, as a warning for people who will, who will follow Jesus with their lives. And what he says is this, You do not have to go the way of Cain. You do not have to let your emotions rule and ruin your life. You do not have to accept the current climates that you're in. And and that's actually our third and final point for today. God says it to Cain so clearly. Cain, you can change your climate. God comes to him and tells him, in spite of how he feels, in spite of the half-hearted offering he's already given, in spite of the current emotional and relational climate between he and his brother, Cain, he says, you can choose to obey. You can take control of. You can rule over. Or another translation says, you can be the master of your climate. You do not have to accept the condition that your climate is currently in, by the power of God and by His grace in your life, you can choose something different. Remember our picture? I mean, who could forget this picture? It's just such a, such a powerful image. Remember the bitterness, you can just see it here, the bitterness and the hatred and the anger and the hostility of this moment. Let me, let me, let me tell you how this story ends. Let me read to you, this is a section straight out of this Time magazine, and I did some research on this story. It's it's quite phenomenal if you want to look it up and get some more details later. But this is what the little tag to the the picture says. In a happy coda, and sort of a second ending, the way this whole thing winds up, in a happy coda to this scene of racial injustice, the student yelling insults behind Eckford, Hazel Bryan, later apologized to Eckford and the eight other black students who were integrated um, at the school with her. And for some years, these two became allies in the cause of racial injustice. 
Those two people in that picture became friends and fought for the kingdom of God to move forward in our world together. Now, looking at that picture, would you ever guess that that is how this story would end up? You see, friends, climates can be changed. Your emotions do not have to be the most powerful force at work in your life. You can change your climate. Just this past week, a good friend of mine called me on the phone and, and just confessed some stuff to me. We have one of those relationships where there's no secrets and um, we get to kind of see the good and the bad parts of each other uh, that maybe not everybody gets to see. And he called me on the phone and just said, Hey, I don't want to talk. I just got some things I need to tell you. And he confessed some stuff going on in his mind with me. He just said, I got some things running through my head, some not good stuff, and I just need to get it off my chest. I need to tell you about it. And then he said these words, because that is not the person I want to be. Because that is not the person I want to be. Friends, see, this friend of mine, he's making this choice. He's saying, I refuse to let my climate move in this direction. I refuse to just naturally become this person I know God does not want me to be. For to say, sin may be crouching at my door, but I will not choose the way of Cain. I will choose the way of God. The way of Cain, my emotions and attitudes, will not rule over me. I will be master of them by God's grace and through His power and strength. You see, that's actually the message of the gospel. That's... The good news of following Jesus, that sin has come and it has infected this world in a powerful, radical way. So powerful that in one chapter we go from paradise in a garden with a perfect relationship with God to one chapter later, one generation later, we've got brothers killing brothers. That's how destructive and powerful sin is. And yet, the message of the gospel is that sin, that power does not have to have the last word in your life. It does not have to win. You can choose a different path. You can choose instead to listen to and follow God. To open your heart to the power of the Holy Spirit and follow Him. And I guess the question for you this morning, the question for all of us is this. Will you do that today? What path will you go down? Will you say, God, I do not want to just follow my own thoughts and attitudes and emotions through life. Instead, I want to follow you, or will you just continue to be the master of your own life and do what feels most natural? Will you, will you start down the path of transformation with God? You see, here's the thing. Sometimes we have this idea that, that forgiveness and freedom from sin is this one moment where we, re- we receive the grace and salvation and forgiveness of Jesus, but it's not that way. Freedom from sin is this journey that we're on with Christ. And whether you've been walking with Christ for 20 seconds or 20 years, God offers you again today and every day a choice. What will rule your life? What will shape your climate? Will you go my way or will you go the way of Cain? Will you continue to be transformed? Will you continue to become more and more the person I long for you to be? Or will you just sort of coast and drift and float down stream with the current of sin? This morning, I guess the question is asked this way. Will you choose the path of transformation by asking some trusted friends to give you a gracious and honest view of your climate? And then will you take that info 
And do your best not to be defensive about it, but just to recognize the destructive pieces of who you are and say, God, I do not choose that, I do not want that, and I receive your power and grace to change and be someone else. Do you want to be transformed today? Do you want to be more a follower of Jesus, more who he wants you to be, or will you go with the way of Cain? Every day, the Holy Spirit will ask, He'll come to you and he'll say, I'm available today. You can go my way or you can go your way. Choose this day who you will follow. I hope that you will choose the Lord. Let's pray. God, this morning I I pray that this would be one of those days where it's not just a sermon on Sunday, but there will be follow-through and conversations and thoughtfulness and that you will even bring the right people to our minds to talk to. And that those people would have tremendous amounts of grace and gentleness with us and yet there would just be a ferocious honesty. And and Lord, when you choose to reveal some things to us that by your grace we'd be able to receive them, that they wouldn't crush us, that they wouldn't overwhelm us, but that they would empower us to become more of your children, that we might represent you in this world, in a more powerful, effective way, God, that you would change our world, our church, our families, our lives, just with little steps towards you. Thank you, God, for this story. Although it's tragic, it's, it's ultimately the story of redemption, the forgiveness, the, the rescue from something that is so powerfully destructive. So thank you, God. We ask that in all this, you get all the glory. It's all for you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.